You're listening to audio from Memphis Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit memphiscc.info. Hey, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you out today. Those of you that are joining us online because you forgot to move your clocks forward, we welcome you too. Probably watching it as a rerun an hour from now, but it's great. It's great to see so many of you remember to do that and make this weekend a priority. It's always good to be right here and to be here together. Man, we have been celebrating life change over this last few weeks, but since the beginning of the year, every weekend we've had one or more people come to surrender to a deeper walk with Jesus Christ. Last weekend, we had Andrew, or actually last night, we had Andrew Rogers baptized. We'll have his picture up here next week. That was very exciting. Last Saturday night was Becky Gibbons and Laura Hostetler who came to, as immersed believers, to place their membership here. You guys, I feel like I'm giving the presidential address. We clap every two seconds, right? Unless you're this president and then nobody claps. Sunday morning last weekend, uh, Gary and uh, Ruthie Wilder over here, Gary was baptized and Gary and Ruthie came to place their membership here at the church. So we just, we welcome all of you. And we are especially mindful of those of you who are new to MCC or perhaps this is your first weekend here and you've been coming back We want you to think about the life change that you are in the midst of today. And if we can help you take that next step on that Get Connected card you received inside your program, you can fill that out and you can let us know how we can partner with you and encourage you, pray with you. All of those things, I hope that you'll take time over the next 30 minutes to consider your response. Well, this weekend, we turn to another walk in Scripture that is very much a personal walk. And it's that walk when we choose between the mirror of God's word and the mirror of the world, which one we're gonna look to for our identity. And I want you to turn with me in the book of Acts to the ninth chapter as we look at a man's life who made this discovery. Acts chapter nine. Olivia was in the first grade. She had gone through preschool. She was in kindergarten. Halfway through first grade, we take her to get her eye exam. You know, in those early years, you take them every year or so to get their checkups for school. And at this particular eye exam, her doctor, Dr. Hall, down at New Albany, she looked at Olivia and she said, Olivia, um, do you see well enough in class? Can you see the chalkboard? Can you see the computer screen that the teacher has at the front? And before Olivia could answer, she asked her a second question. She said, where in the classroom do you sit? Do you sit up towards the front? Do you sit in the back with all the troublemakers? And Olivia answered both questions. She said, well, I sit in the back and no, I can't see a thing. Well, the doctor looked at us. We looked at the doctor like, you dumb parents, where have you been the last three years? This girl's blind as a bat. And so the next week she was fitted with glasses. And I've got to tell you, I cried. I cried when my baby girl had to get glasses. Why? Because I know glasses are just another thing that when we look in the mirror of the world that we see something other than what God wants us to see of ourselves. 
I didn't want anything in my daughter's life. We were careful about how we chose her name so that it was a name that you could take the initials and not make fun of her, right? Not come up with a bad word or an embarrassing word. I didn't want her identity to be shaped by other people's opinions. Certainly not. And so I cried when this happened. I also don't want her to have the attitude of the bearded woman in The Greatest Showman who walks around singing, this is me. This is me. I'm brave. I'm who I am. This is who I want to be. Now listen, when that song came out, it's got a beat. And I was like, man, that's an awesome song. But it makes the same comparisons. It makes the same moral judgments that we cannot make individually. And we make a decision based on who we think we are. And we shout to the world, this is me. Well, in Acts chapter 9, we get a glimpse of a man. His name at this point in Scripture is Saul. We know him as the Apostle Paul. But we're going to join Saul in his life when he was strutting around saying, this is me. I'm smarter than you are. I'm more intelligent than you are. I might be shorter than you are, but I know. I know the way things need to go. You see, Saul was the man who was there in Acts chapter 8, cheering the group on when Stephen, the first martyr, was killed for his faith. Look at verse 1 in Acts chapter 9. Saul was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to those in authority and he asked them for letters. He asked them for permission as he was about to go into Damascus that if he found anyone following the way, now what's the way? Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. If he were to encounter anyone who was a Christ follower, these letters would give him permission to what? To arrest them. But he wanted more than that. He wanted to see them wiped out just like he had saw to it that Stephen was killed for his faith. Now this Saul on this day in Acts chapter 9 verse 1. Verse 3 says, as Saul neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light flashed around him. He fell to the ground and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why? Why do you persecute me? And if any of us saw a light and any of us heard a voice out of heaven saying that, we would say, who, 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 is it you, Lord? Is that you? I am Jesus, the voice said, whom you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city. You will be told what you must do. Verse 7 says, the men traveling with Saul were speechless. They heard the sound, but they didn't see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he couldn't see anyone. He saw nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus, where for three days he was blind and didn't eat or drink anything. Now those rock and roll fans out there, what's the first song that comes to your mind? Blinded by the light, right? Right? He was revved up like a deuce. 
a double barrel carburetor, right? He was revved up and he was ready to go. He was singing, this is me. I'm not scared. I'm not ashamed. This is who I was meant to be. And Jesus appeared in all of his glory. And all of a sudden, everything else became dark around Saul. Anybody ever have a moment like that? You're out there satisfied with yourself, your image, your mission in life. And all of a sudden, the direction of your life, your identity is completely interrupted by God. You see, the reality is I would say most of us have had that interruption, but we failed to recognize it. You see, at first, it, it, it may not seem as obvious as it is for Saul, but, but it might have happened during a sermon when, when that light came on. You know, so many of you say, why did you stare at me during the message? I'm like, I didn't even know you're in the room. Where are you at? But a light comes on, and you realize that God has something more for you. It might have happened at a concert. My friend, Scott. His wife drug him to every Christian concert, no telling how much money they spent traveling to Christian concerts over the years. And finally, at that concert that God had ordained for him, the lights came on for Scott. And she drug him back here and nearly drowned him in that baptistry. <laughs> but everything changed. What she had prayed for, what she had looked for, suddenly, maybe, Maybe it was when your parents died. Maybe it was when a tragic accident occurred that changed everything. And in a moment, in that moment, God called you to walk. To walk in which he offered you his hand. Now Saul wasn't looking for Jesus at all when he was on his walk. His face was stuck in his own mirror. And I submit to you that long before the light of Christ, Saul was already blind. Oh, maybe not physically, but all the evidence points to the fact that for the first half of Saul's life, he was blinded to the reality that Jesus Christ is who he said he himself was, that he was truly the Messiah, that he was the Son of God. And because of this, Saul was blinded to the reality that who Saul was at his core was but a reflection of his education. Who Saul was at his core was but a reflection of his biases. Who Saul was at his core was a reflection of the people around him and his own rejection of the truth. Are you blinded today? Are you blinded by the opinion of others? Are you blinded by what you see in the mirror that you don't like and the things that you do? Have you overlooked the reality of the truth of who you are? Who you are is behind that mirror. You see, there's two different types of mirrors. There's the mirror of the world, and the mirror of the world looks like this mirror. I, I got this from JJ. I asked to borrow his mirror from home. He loves teal. He's got a few stickers on here. One of them has my daughter Emma's name on it. I'm not for sure what he's doing with the mirror with that name, but this is the mirror that I'm talking about. This is the mirror that we've been looking in, that some of us have looked in all of our lives. Oh, you say, I don't have a mirror that big. I submit that you have a mirror far bigger than this. 
You see, this mirror right here, when we look in it, whoo, that's nice. Did you, did you hear about the lady? I was looking at you. Did you hear about the lady that went to get her red dress? And she looked, she's a knockout, right? She's a knockout standing there looking in the mirror. And, and she said, uh, and Satan appeared to her right there in the mirror and said, boy, that dress, that, that dress really is something on you. And she said, get behind me, Satan. And he said, well, looks good from back here too. <laughs> but this mirror, you're not getting it, are you? This mirror that we look in, this mirror, I didn't say it was Sarah. Even though she wanted me to set it right here so she could get that view all the time, you know, while I'm up here preaching. But the challenge with this mirror, look. The challenge with this mirror, you say, oh, but that's a reflection of me. Oh, no. At best, it's a skewed reflection of you. What do you notice when you look in this mirror and you've got a shirt with words on it? It's backwards. The view's completely backwards. The reflection is. What do you do when you're looking in the mirror? Well, you see all the other faces around you and behind you looking at you, and you're making comparisons with those other faces in the mirror. You're listening to what they say or what they imply by their posts on Facebook. You know, those subtle posts that don't mention your name but say everything about you, right? Mirrors that have scars, mirrors that have stickers that blind you to certain things in your life. But this mirror right here, this mirror, the Word of God, it tells you all about you, the truth about you, who you are, whose you are, what your purpose is in life. And so this weekend, I want us to set this mirror aside. And I want us to look at what God's mirror, His Word, says about us. Three discoveries. First, now that you're awake, this is me. This is me, my identity. My identity is no mistake, no mishap, or fluke of nature. God chose to create me, and then he chose to reclaim me, even when I walk away. You see, the truth is, is that long before you were conceived by your parents, you were conceived in the mind of God. He thought of you first. You're alive today because God chose for you to be alive. God chose you. He chose your race. He chose your skin color. He chose your hair or no hair. He chose your eye color and every other feature. He custom made your body for the very purpose that he had in mind for you long before mom and dad came along. In fact, scripture says long before the foundations of the earth were even laid. He also determined your natural abilities. He decided the things that you're going to lack in, and he decided the things that you're going you're to flourish in, even the uniqueness of your personality. Now, in the Old Testament, just like us today, the people struggled with that. They struggled as this nation called Israel that God set apart and said, I want you to follow this mirror. 
I, I want you, when people see you, I want them to see me. When people see you, I want them to see the blessing that comes when you line your life up with me. And they were okay with that, but then they weren't. They were okay with that, and then they started looking in the mirror. And they began tweaking things, just like we do when we're dissatisfied with something that we see. And over and over again, God would call them back home. And through a preacher, through a prophet, he said those words. He said, I am your creator. Get, get that into your head. I'm the one who created you. You were in my care even before you were born. Now, I've not done so good at it lately. But for the first several years with my girls, I was very intentional to point out every special feature that would come to light in their life. And, and I was very careful to point that out to them as being part of God's design of them. Olivia, Olivia from a very early age, she has a heart for people. When she sees someone hurting, she knows it. And she hurts too. And when I've seen that, I've said, Olivia, that's okay, honey, for you to, for you to feel that, to feel what other people are feeling. God has made you that way, and one day you're going to see a purpose and a reason for that in your relationship with other people. Whenever I see her push up those glasses on her face so that she can see better, I don't cry much anymore about that, but I look and I remind her of how God created these eyes that she has to see things that I completely overlook. I can't tell you how many times, especially my younger daughter now, they say, you're a preacher, daddy. You're supposed to do better than that. <laughs> Emma, she pays such close attention to everything around her. Some of you that have been around here for a little while, she's my 11-year-old, but from a very early age, she would come up to some of you and she would compliment you. She'd say, that, that's a new shirt, isn't it? She, she pays attention to those things. That beautiful earrings. Did you change something? I, I, I see something's different from you. Always very complimentary, always paying attention to every detail. To this day, she anticipates my next word. She watches me do something, and she does it better. It's amazing. Anybody have one of those helpers or wish you had a helper when you're building something, and they anticipate your next move? You don't have to say, hey, go get that, go do this. They're just right there with you. That's, that's Emma. And on top of it all, you know my Emma? She loves being a preacher's daughter. Go figure. Go figure except for when I use her in sermons. She hates that. Both of them do, but I ask permission most of the time. Now, I want my girls... <laughs> I want my girls... I want my girls to arrive at the point that King David did when he penned these words, Holy Spirit-inspired, Psalm 139. And those of you who are younger, or those of you who are older, who are struggling with this mirror of the world, I submit that you need to tear that page out of your Bible and not throw it away, but you need to tear it out and you need to cover up that mirror with it so that it's the first thing that you see. He says, you, God, 
created my inmost being. This mess that I am in my life, well, you've got something to do with how I was put together. You knit me together in my mother's womb. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in that secret place. Listen, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. Long before we are an embryo, long before we are conceived in our parents, by our parents, we were thought of, we were in the mind of, we were created who we are by God. Now I want for my girls... I want that for my girls, and God wants that for every one of us to focus on the truth that God planned every detail of our body, our design. There are no mistakes or flaws. And I know you're hanging on that, but I'll get back to that in just a minute. Because it brings confidence that will override the times that we're tempted by this mirror right here. Now I realize that Many of you have already gone there in your mind. Well, what about the fact? What about the fact that my parents gave me up for adoption? Where was God when that happened? What about the fact that I was born, I was conceived out of a one-night stand, even rape? What about the fact that my little brother was born with autism or my adopted sister was a baby born addicted to crack cocaine? Was God on break when that happened? But that brings about this next truth in this walk behind the mirror. This is me. I'm here for a reason and a purpose that God's revealing to me every day. Now Saul was convinced. Saul was convinced that his reason and purpose was to persecute Christians until the day he encountered the resurrected and ascended Christ. God had those traveling with Saul take him to a man named Ananias. Look at verse 15. God speaks to Ananias and says, Go, Ananias, this man, he's speaking of Saul, look at these words, is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles. This man who who's been killing every Christian that he encounters. He's now your chosen instrument. Yes, yes, just listen to me, Ananias. He's my chosen instrument to carry my name before those who aren't religious, those who aren't Jewish, those who aren't in a relationship with me, their kings, and also the people of Israel, also the Jews. I will show him, I will show Saul how much he must suffer for my name. And then Ananias went to the house and entered it, the house that, remember, Saul's men had led him to. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, he has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Chosen instrument. Chosen instrument. Do you realize that there are things that only you will get to do in life, this life? Only you. There are people that you'll have the privilege of speaking into. 
There are people that you'll have the opportunity to come along beside and point to the risen Savior because of something God-awful that you experienced in your life. Do you realize that you are his chosen instrument for the things that you can't even fathom now that he's going to use or do through you? Please hear me and understand this. God creating me and God creating you, it takes into account human error and even sin. All of that God is very much aware of and was very much aware of when he formed you. There are no mistakes. There's no accidents. All of this allowed because he had his sights on you to be his children and to be his chosen instrument. Psalm 139, verse 16, David said, you talk about a realization. He said, all the days ordained for me, all the days that I would live were written down in your book, God, before one of them came to be. Now, some people look at that and they say, oh, so, so God's already chosen what I'm going to do. So I'm basically just a robot. No, that's not what it says. It says that he wrote down the days. Why did he write down the days? Because he knows what the days are going to bring. He knows the choices that you're going to make. He knows the things that are going to happen to you, good and bad, because he's omniscient, because he's sovereign. All the days were written down. Choices made by you, choices made for you. Nothing has escaped God. My favorite passage of scripture that the young guys use all the time, and so I don't use it a lot because I don't want to repeat it every week. But it's a wonderful, wonderful truth. It's one of the first verses that I memorized in ministry, and that's Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's workmanship. We were created in Christ Jesus to do what? The good works these things that he created in advance for us to do. Just as he created you in advance, just as he allowed these things to come into your life, just as he allowed you to make some of the choices in your life that have led to addictions that you've now recovered from, that have led to brokenness in relationship, all of these things, he has also good works for you to do that were decided a long time ago. Will you do them? Will you stop the next time you look in this mirror and you're distracted by the people in the back of the mirror? You're distracted by the flaws of the mirror. You're distracted by how you look in the mirror. You know, you can stand at different angles and you can get all wiggly. You can be fat. You can be skinny. You can be anything in these mirrors. But will you stop the next time that you look at that? And will you look to the truth of who you are in God and in Jesus Christ? David wrote in verse 17 of Psalm 139, how precious to me are your thoughts. Now, aren't those thoughts much better? When you're faced with criticism, when you're faced with a diagnosis, when you're faced with the reality that you've lived your life completely outside of God and now 
You're surrendering to him and you wonder, what's he going to do with these scars? What's he going to do with this past? When you're faced with the loss of that person that you thought God had brought to you that would be with you for this whole journey, when you're faced with those things and this mirror is shouting out something to you other than what God says, will you look to his word Will you say, God, how precious are your thoughts, Lord. I wish I could get inside your head. And he's saying, he's saying, come on in. Come on in and let me show you. David got it. He understood that to hear what God had to say about his life and his purpose, his destiny, his situations, he could see God's plan behind him being a shepherd boy referred to as his dad as the runt of the litter, capable only of spying on his brothers and taking them a sack lunch. David got to see behind all of that that God had created him to be a warrior. God had created him to conquer Goliath. God had created him to be the king of Israel. It was David. David who looked behind the mirror that his father and his brothers and that the giant Goliath kept wanting to hold up in front of him and David asked God, not them, in verse 23. David said, God, will you search me? Will you search me, God? I know you know my heart, but will you, will you look at my heart? Will you test me? Will you know the things that I'm anxious about? And will you see? Will you show me where I'm out of alignment? Where I've been looking here when I should have been looking right here. He's saying, will you lead me in the way? Will you show me? Now, I want to go back to something real quick before we finish out. I want to go back to something that God said to Ananias about Saul after his conversion in verse 16. Acts chapter 9, verse 16, God said, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Now, suffering is a strong word. <laughs> Man, I hate to hear that. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. But isn't that what we experience in this identity journey? <laughs> we experience some suffering. I, I said the other day to Sarah, I, I said, I hate it when my girls have to experience these things <laughs> that just come along at the age of 16 or 18, the things that come along when you're 11, the things that come along at the age of five when they put glasses on you. I, I hate these things that when they find out you're good at math and so they call you the teacher's pet. I, I hate these things. The suffering that comes. Saul would go on to experience shipwrecks. Isolation. Unjust imprisonment. A thorn in his flesh that God wouldn't remove. And, and I don't know what that thorn is for me. It, it's depression or anxiety for you. It, it might be a freckle in the wrong place on your face. I, I, I don't know. There's all extremes of those thorns. But he had to suffer through that. But God wouldn't remove those things. Listen, he then wrote, Saul said, now I know. I know back when I was hungry. I know back when I had plenty to eat. I, I know what it is to be full. I, I know what it is to be without. He said, but through all of this suffering, I've learned that I can do what? I can do all things through 
Christ and the identity, who he says I am in him. I can do all things through him who gives me strength, the courage that's needed. It's perhaps the most significant truth about our existence. This is me. This is me. God's motive for creating me was that I would know his love. You see, this mirror that we hold up to us, that we, some of us, have spent a lifetime looking into at its core, what is it saying to us? It's saying, you need to do this. It's saying, you need to fill me. You need to fulfill this image that I have for you. You do this for me. And what's God saying? God's saying, I created you so that I could fill you that I could share with you that long before you were in your mother's womb, I wanted you. <laughs> I, I wanted you there. I, I wanted you to know me. I, wa- I wanted you to experience my love. I wanted you to experience my presence in this journey of growing up and growing old on this earth. I want you to see your worth in me. When Emma was five, when Emma was five, she received a Christmas, a, a gift of Christmas that was known as a reborn. And anybody remember those babies that, that were like three, $400? You could spend up to a grand on them. L- luckily, my wife never did that. But if we had one, we had four or five at one time. But she had one created, made by several artists for my daughter, Emma. She was really into babies. And so this reborn... It was one that she could hold. It was given a perfect weight, a weight that we decided. It had the the same little marks that Emma had, same hair color, same eye color, right? The features were were almost the same. I remember taking that to school when my girls were at public school and we'd go to fall festival and there'd be hundreds of people in this gym and I'd come in, I'd be rocking that baby at them and then all of a sudden I would like uh, stumble and drop it on the floor and it'd go rolling out there and everybody'd go, (gasps) And then I just reach over and grab it by the leg, tug it back. Oh, it's okay. Don't worry about it. Right? This baby was perfect. But the night after Christmas, we always go to Sarah's families and spend the night because Christmas wasn't right at our house. We have to do it again according to her mother's plan. And, and so we would go over there, and there she would be surrounded by all of her boy cousins. All of her boy cousins, most of whom are younger than she. And they saw that baby. And the next night when we came home, she brought that baby into her mama and said, I want you to get rid of it. Uh, you can sell it, do whatever you want to do. I don't want it anymore. Well, why don't you want it? Well, you see this little mark here? You see the way the hair is? You see how chunky those little legs are? It's flawed, Mommy. There's something wrong. Her cousins had told her for the first time at the age of five, she had her experience with this mirror right here. And we have spent the last six years trying to redirect her to who God says that she is. Last night, someone was crying during the 
invitation and I walked over to them and asked if it was because the sermon was too long and they missed their dinner uh, reservation. And they said, no. No, I'm crying because I wish you would have broken that mirror. She said, I I wish that you would have let me. She said, I almost just got up and came up here and broke that mirror. Why? Because it was a mirror just like that who stole the life of someone very, very important to her. This morning, I'm going to give you the opportunity to do what she wanted to do and that is to shatter the mirror that the world's been holding up in front of you, saying, look at you, look at what you've done, look at those flaws. I invite you to come and to shatter that mirror and pick up the mirror that says, you are so worth it that I came and I died for you. If it had been only you, I would have come. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this morning and for the mirror of your word. I thank you for the change that you made in Saul. That, Lord, he would become the Apostle Paul and that he would lead so many to this understanding of your word that we're to base our lives on, that we're to look to every day. But, Father, long before Saul, I I thank you for thinking of my daughters. I thank you for forming my wife. I thank you for those who've come alongside of this church that you formed, that you allowed to experience. Oh, some people in here this room have been at the highest heights, success at work, success at home, and some have been at the lowest lows. But God, you created each one of us for the purpose of coming alongside of you to be filled by you and to do these great works that you prepared in advance for us to do. The greatest of which is to see one more person come to relationship with you. And for some in that room, this room, that person, well, it's them. And so I pray, Father, that that as they come and as they stomp out the mirror of the world, that you would allow them to see for the first time the way that you see the way that you see them. In Jesus' name, amen. In case you're afraid, I'll be the first. You're welcome to come and break that mirror too. Let's stand and let's sing together.